You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. So what did you come here for this morning? Or what did you come with this morning? I think that if, if we're honest with ourselves that we... We carry around within ourselves this experience that so does not match so many of the worship songs we sing and so much of what we, we know is true. And this disconnect can cause such a, such a dilemma in our souls, doesn't it? It can cause us to, to feel so unworthy and it can cause us to feel shame at such a deep level that we feel that if anybody else were to open up the heart's door and peek inside that they'd never want to know us again. And you see, we we live with that experience and we think that somehow nobody else does. And the, the, the miraculous truth of Easter and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, that God is bigger than all of that. That His grace is way more than sufficient for all the stuff that you used to struggle with and still struggle with and will struggle with as long as you live in this body. And the truth of the resurrection is that one day you're going to get a new body. That, in, that through faith in Jesus Christ, that, that what, what he's going to finish one day completely can start right now between you and him. And the dilemma that you live with in your internal experience of self and sin and shame and God and all that put together, that can slowly lift like the fog and and clear like the the clouds and the bright sunshine of God can invade you. Some of you have a hard time believing that this morning. So I want to pray that God will open our ears to hear the word of God this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I I am in need of hearing this message, even as I'm about to preach it. And Lord, I know that you've brought other people here this morning that need to hear this message as well, because you don't do anything by accident. So God, I pray that regardless of wherever... The folks have come from whatever walk of life, whatever religious background or not that people have. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you'd be, it'd be your pleasure today to just so draw back the curtain so that we might experience and know and see Jesus. And that we might have a, a, a better sense of how we can be accepted in him before you. God, I pray that you would speak your words to us now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 
sermon this morning is called Looking for Jesus in All the Wrong Places. I was visiting Patty Bonus last night at the Victoria General Hospital. And uh, she is, says hi to everybody in the church family. She's been in the hospital with a kidney infection. And uh, please pray for her. Uh, Dieter and her would both appreciate your prayers. And so I was telling her about the sermon this morning, giving her a kind of a sneak preview. And as soon as I told her the title of the sermon, Looking for Jesus in All the Wrong Places, she immediately said to me, Ah, yeah. Kind of like that quote that says that there's a God-shaped hole in every person that only God can fill. That's where she went to right away. She got it right away. There's a woman that we're going to meet this morning in the scriptures that had an opportunity to, to get a close encounter with Jesus that I think every one of us would want as we read about it. And that in the midst of hearing her story, it's my prayer that God will, will cause us to want to have that same kind of close encounter and that he would draw us close to him. The historical accounts of the record of Jesus' death tell us that that it was mid-afternoon on Good Friday, that first Good Friday when Jesus died. The Sabbath begins at sunset, according to the Jewish way of counting days. And so by sunset on Good Friday, Jesus and his body had to be taken down from the cross and buried so that no work could be done on the Sabbath day. The Jewish law prohibited anything that resembled work to be done on the Sabbath day. And the scriptures tell us that it was Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee actually himself, and a secret follower of Jesus Christ. He comes out of the closet on the day of Jesus' death, and he goes to Pilate, and he asks for the body of Jesus, along with Nicodemus, so that they could bury him before sunset. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 60, it says that, Joseph buried him in his own tomb that he had cut out of the rock. So the tomb of Jesus was a cave-like place in the rock, and a stone was rolled away, uh, rolled uh, to the front of it. This was to fulfill Scripture. Isaiah 53, 9 said that he was assigned a grave with the wicked, those are the thieves that he died beside, And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was almost certainly a very poor woman, a widow, likely. We don't read anything in the latter part of the earthly ministry of Jesus about Joseph, his father, his earthly father. And so we're to presume that that indeed, even when we hear Jesus speak from the cross... And say to John the Apostle, Behold your mother, and to Mary, Behold your son. He was saying, Take care of my mother. Why? Because she was poor. She had no means even to give Jesus, her son, a decent burial. And so in this wonderful providence of God, what does God do? Well, he did just like he did when Jesus arrived on earth. He raised up some wise men that had lots of money. They came from the east bearing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the family needed that to make the trip to Egypt. And so even as Jesus dies, God raises up some wealthy men. Nicodemus 
and Joseph of Arimathea. And Nicodemus provides 75 pounds of perfume and spices for the preparation of the body. And Joseph provides his very own tomb to bury Jesus in. I thought of the scripture in Psalm 121 verse 8 where it says, The Lord watches over your coming and your going. How faithful God was to watch over Mary and Jesus. I'm going to digress for a moment, and forgive me if some of what I say might be a little R-rated. I cannot help, as I was preparing, in thinking about some of the funerals that I was involved in in Bolivia. One of them was a, a student of ours who whose father was hit by a truck about an hour outside of Cochabamba. Julio Grover Choque, his name was. And he had so little, and so the family was, was needing help. We went out there, a, a jeep load of students, and, and as we, we waited, and the coffin was in the living room of the home, and all of a sudden it was time to make its, our way to the cemetery, but there was no way of getting the coffin there. And so the, the, the mission jeep was pressed into service, and we put it in the back, and and made our way over to the cemetery. But, but, he, but a, a more memorable time was when Victor Tapia died. He was a student of ours at the seminary. I had one class with him. And he died of cancer. And his widow, Rosario, had no means to have a decent burial. And so... Some of us got involved and, and we... We prepared the body for burial. You know, it's, it's interesting how we have sterilized and sanitized death so much. Because we have funeral directors and people that take care of all that stuff for us. In many parts of the world, that's not the case. And, and so, in Bolivia, as in some parts of the world, if you don't pay your bill at the hospital, they don't release the body. And Rosario had no means of paying the bill. And so Mario Morales, an American missionary and myself, paid the bill. And then Pat and I took Rosario down to the middle of the Cancha, this area where, we, where everything is a market. We bought a coffin. And a Brazilian missionary helped with that purchase. And then we got back to the hospital and we went into where Victor was and and we knew that as we walked into that room that there was no way that we could let a family member or next of kin see him in that state. And so the three of us plus a, a Bolivian friend prepared the body. We got soap and water and cotton batten and a whole bunch of other things and I was responsible for shaving him. And we got his best suit and we took his clothes off and put his suit on him. And then as soon as we were ready, we, we told everybody out in the waiting room and outside waiting, and we said, we're ready to go. And we made our way to the church. And at the Muyarina church, there was the pastor and other people waiting, and the service took place at around 10 in the evening, same day that he died. Went past midnight. 
I went, we left before it was finished. And then the next morning, we met again at the cemetery where Victor's funeral or burial took place. And within 24 hours, it was all done. It was all done. I think that we see some of this in the burial of Jesus. There was a hurriedness to it that afternoon. Think about it for a moment. Friday was preparation day. The Sabbath was starting at sunset. Everything had to be done. And so the centurion soldier in charge had to confirm that Jesus was dead prior to the other two that had had been crucified there. Then it had to be conveyed to Pilate. and, And this man had to get a hearing with Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea. He had to get allowed to be taking the body down. They had to take the body down, wrap the body in grave clothes and use all these spices, take him to a tomb where, where the tomb would be sealed with a big stone and then guards would be placed there. It's interesting that the accounts that we find in the Gospels show that Joseph and Nicodemus are mentioned in the preparation of the burial and the body and it's always just in the background in all four Gospels that the women are there. And they see where Jesus was laid, but they're not involved. They're not involved. Now, this is where I could be wrong. But my, my hunch says that, that in the rush of that afternoon before sunset, all those spices didn't get used. And everything didn't get done right. And the women who were watching it done by Joseph and Nicodemus and maybe some helpers knew that there was more to do. Now on Saturday at sunset would have ended the Sabbath and given them the opportunity to go, but it was now dark and they didn't want to go to the tomb at dark. And so the very first opportunity to go was Sunday morning before the light. They left Jerusalem and they made their way out toward the tomb and they arrived at sunrise. It was their first opportunity to go because they had to finish what was left undone. It says clearly in the scriptures that we have that, that uh, they went to prepare his body. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Would you stand with me if you're able to? Luke chapter 24, verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were there wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. 
But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. May God bless his word. You may be seated. The scriptures present the order of that morning very clearly that God raised his son from the dead prior to dawn, that God sent an angel that rolled away the stone, that there was an earthquake, and that the appearance of the angel was so frightening that the two guards that were standing there fled and went back into Jerusalem. And then after that, then the women arrived at the tomb. And the stone had already been rolled away, And the resurrection had already taken place, and the guards had already fled. And the scriptures tell us that that they went in and peeked at these grave clothes. Remember that the stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could get out, but so that somebody could go in and see that he was risen. The resurrection formula that we read of in scripture is, come and see Then go and tell. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples he is risen. That's the formula for every one of us, isn't it? Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and know him. Then go and tell what he has done for you. Their purpose in going to the tomb that morning was clearly stated in this passage. They went looking for a body so that they could finish the anointing, the Jewish burial customs. But when they arrived, they found an empty tomb. And the angel said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? They had gone to the tomb looking for a dead body. That doesn't seem like so odd a thing to do. It seems logical except for the fact that probably a dozen times in previous weeks leading up to his death, Jesus had told the disciples, and all of his followers, that he would die and on the third day he would rise again. Many times. In fact, so common was this teaching at the end of Jesus' days that the chief priest made sure that he would go to Pilate and have two Roman soldiers staked out at the tomb because he was afraid that the disciples would come in the night, steal the body, and then tell everybody that Jesus had been raised from the dead. See, not that the disciples knew this. Everybody knew that had listened to Jesus. This is what he said. The Son of Man will be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. Why is it that they did not anticipate this? Why were they so slow to hear and understand? Why is it that in this instance even the angels had to tell the women, He has risen just as He said. I don't be too hard on the women. The men aren't even there. The disciples hadn't even shown up on the third day. What's the point of all this? The point is this. That the resurrection from the dead was as inconceivable to those who had known Jesus in the flesh as it is for us today. I think this passage catches us in our unbelief as much as the witnesses of the resurrection were caught in their unbelief as well. That we can be guilty of looking for the living Jesus 
among the dead, that we can be guilty of doing dead religious things among the dead in search of a dead Jesus instead of doing spirit-filled living things among the living in search of a living Jesus. You see, the question is, what are you looking for and where are you looking for it? Really, the, the core of your being, the purpose of your life, what are you looking for and where are you looking for it? There's a God-shaped hole in every heart that only Jesus Christ can fill. What are you looking for and where are you looking for it? Jesus was used to having people look for him. All throughout the Gospels we read about so many times when people were looking for Jesus. People were looking for him because they had a full belly and they wanted some more food. Some searched for him for the right reasons, some for the wrong. Some had a miracle done and they wanted to see more. Some tried to catch him in his word so they could condemn him. Other, others tried to find loopholes in his word so they could justify themselves. See, there are many trappings in the life of Jesus, and in many trappings followed Jesus along. Just like any celebrity, there were fair-weather followers. And to some degree, all of us are guilty of looking for Jesus in all the wrong places and for even the wrong reasons. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Where does your restlessness take you? Where does your restlessness take you? Inside of our hearts, there is indeed a God-shaped vacuum, a hole where only Christ can fill. You can stuff it full of junk food, and that will satisfy you for a while. You can mask the deep, aching soul hunger that every human being was created with because of the inherited sin that was passed on to us. And it was meant to be met with the grace and the mercy and the living Jesus Christ that comes and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I have come to give you life abundant. In the words of Jesus to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. We all say in our core of our being, give me this water that I might never have to thirst again. Yet we all keep on thirsting, keep on hungering, keep on looking, many times in the wrong places. Turn in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, if you would, chapter 20. John gives us a little more detail into what occurred on that Easter Sunday. And in verse 1 of John, chapter 20, we read about how that early morning visit by Mary Magdalene to the tomb resulted in her running back to get Peter and John and so then Peter and John run to the tomb, we see in chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. And they come and they inspect the empty tomb. They see the grave clothes. But in verse 9 it says that they still did not understand that Jesus had been raised from the dead. 
And then look at what it says in John chapter 20, verse 10. It says, then the disciples went back to their homes. I looked it up. It doesn't say homes, actually. It just says the disciples left that place. The disciples left that place. But then notice in verse 11, big word here. But Mary. Key word, key transition here. But Mary stood outside the tomb. The word for stood there is actually has the word of abiding. She stayed there. Mary stayed there by the tomb where Jesus had last been seen. Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there. Jesus' body had been, and one at the head and one at the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Jesus said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, that I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She, returned, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Wow. What a personal encounter this must have been. Mary. Because of this persistence. Mary, because she lingered longer. Mary, because she pressed in. Mary, because she was the more desperate one. Mary, because she just wanted to see Jesus more than the disciples did. Is, is awarded this incredible first resurrection appearance visit by Jesus. And Jesus speaks her name, Mary, and her ears are opened, and her eyes are opened, and she sees and knows him, teacher. The Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God, because those who come to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. God asks two things of you. That those who come to God must believe that He exists. Can you give God that this morning? That He exists. That Easter is real. That Jesus was raised. That He is alive. And that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. This is a formula that Jesus laid down. This is the, the, the model that Jesus laid down. This is the spiritual life principle that Jesus laid down so many times when he was teaching and preaching. He said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, Jesus wants to be found. I believe that the risen Christ stands near to all who are seeking him in dead places. For all who are trying to fill that hole in their hearts with something else. I believe the risen Christ is nearby, whispering names, wanting to be found 
looking for the truth of your heart, and he whispers your name. He wants you to find him. I didn't finish the story of Victor Tapia's funeral, that Bolivian student. At the church service that night when we had prepared the body and we had gathered at the church in Muirina, we all walked in and, and one of the first things that occurred in that service just took us all off guard. Because Victor had recorded some songs and he sang and played guitar. And so we walked in, we sat down, and the first thing I think we heard was Victor's voice singing a song. <laughs> it, it, it was a very emotional moment. And the song that he sang was this. Tomado de la mano con el yo voy. Tomado de la mano con el yo voy. ¿A dónde él va? Si Jesús me dice amigo, deja todo y ven conmigo. Yo mi mano pongo en la suya y voy con él. Taking the hand of Jesus. Taking the hand. If Jesus... Oh boy, I get this. Taking his hand with him, I go wherever he goes. If Jesus says to me, friend, leave everything and come with me, I will put my hand in his and go with him. We're listening to that being sung by Victor at Victor's funeral. I said to Kevin the other day, Kevin, you might get a chance to sing at your own funeral. With modern technology. Friends, what does Easter tell us? What is the message of Easter? Easter reminds us that because Jesus rose from the dead, all who trust in Him will rise as well from death. The message of Easter is that, that whatever you have been searching for does not need, the defining, need be the defining element of your life, that Jesus is close by, that He is whispering your name, that He wants to fill your life with meaning, that He wants to bring you not only abundance in this life, but He wants you to have life eternal with Him. The message of Easter is one never to be forgotten. And that's why when we go to a funeral of someone who is a believer. Oh, how different that funeral is. I remember reading once by a man by the name of Arthur Brisbane who pictures the funeral of a Christian as a crowd of grieving caterpillars all wearing black suits and as they crawl along mourning their dead brother and carrying his cocoon to its final resting place above them flutters an incredibly beautiful butterfly looking down on them in utter disbelief. That's the picture of a Christian funeral. This is not the end, friends. This is not the end. And so this morning, I want to encourage every one of us, regardless of how low you've sunk or how high you think you've been, Jesus is whispering your name. I said it on Good Friday that Martin Luther, one of the things that drove him crazy as a priest before he really understood the grace of God 
was the two greatest commandments that Jesus said summed up all of the law and the prophets. That you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Martin Luther confessed, he says, I have not done that one day in all my life. Love the Lord my God with everything I have and loved someone else as I love myself. And it drove him crazy. And then he came to understand that it is absolutely by the grace of Jesus Christ who lived that perfect life and and died on the cross, that perfect death, and rose from the grave and left all your sin in the grave with him. And so this morning, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for your incredible matchless grace. And Lord, I pray you'd open ears this morning and eyes of the hearts of everyone that all of us might long to see you and to know you, even as Mary had this incredible encounter with you. Jesus, we confess that We mask that hunger in our souls with so many things instead of loving you with our whole being. Confess how weakly we do this. And so, Father, we ask you now again, oh God, have mercy. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Oh Lord, be glorified in our lives, even as we live the Easter message. We pray in Jesus' name. You're going to sing the song with me. So come on, let's stand together. And those of you from El Salvador and Mexico, you sing louder. And uh, we're going to sing this song. Remember the words meaning, taking the hand of him I go, taking the hand of him I go. If Jesus says to me, friend, take my hand and come with me, I will put my hand in his and go with him. Sing it. Tomado de la mano con él yo voy, tomado de la mano con él yo voy, tomado de la mano con él yo voy, a donde él va. Repeat that. Tomado de la mano con él yo voy, tomado de la mano con él yo voy, tomado de la mano con él yo voy, a donde yo voy él va. Si Jesús me dice amigo, deja todo y ven conmigo. Yo mi mano pongo en la suya y voy con él. Tomado de la mano con él yo voy. Tomado de la mano con él yo voy. Tomado de la mano con él yo voy. A donde él va. Amen.